There is, on the one hand, a wide gate and a broad road leading to a place called destruction. It's bustling with people. And there is, on the other hand, a narrow road heading to a place called life. And it's not a busy road. Few find it. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and we're going to uh, get into a message today from Matthew chapter 7 called Two Ways to Live. And Jonathan, you know, in Scripture, we hear about these two roads, the wide road to destruction, the narrow road to life. Why do you think it is that so few find that narrow road to life? Well, that's in a sense one of the great mysteries that is is the Lord's to know, and and maybe we'll discover more in eternity. But following Jesus is not an easy thing. And for us who are instinctively inclined to pursue our own way, our own pleasure, to make our own rules for things, following the Lord Jesus and listening to his word and obeying him, submitting to his rule, those aren't things that come easily or naturally to us. So in a sense, it's not a surprise that there are many who won't, who won't go on this narrow road and, and follow the Savior. Well, we're going to look at this today in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to uh, really be focusing on verses 13 to 29. So if you have a Bible, join us there as we begin our message, Two Ways to Live. Here is Jonathan. Well, we all know that good preaching demands a verdict. It calls for a decision. Probably the most famous preacher of the modern era is the American evangelist Billy Graham. In his crusade ministry, Billy Graham preached to millions and millions of people in hundreds, if not thousands, of different cities around the world. His sermons were soon collected and aired on a radio program appropriately named The Hour of Decision. The show aired for 65 years and was syndicated on about a thousand different radio stations in 55 different countries of the world. This was powerful preaching, effective preaching, preaching that called for a verdict. Well, Billy Graham sure knew a thing or two about preaching, but he didn't make it up himself. He learned from the master. This morning, we conclude our series in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached by the most famous preacher to walk the earth. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount has taught us rich truth, and it's given us a lot to think about. It's given us a vision of Jesus' new society, the kingdom of heaven, made up of his saved, of his redeemed people. And now as Jesus brings this great sermon to a close, he sets a series of simple choices before each one of us. He calls us to choose how we're going to respond He brings us now, if you like, to our own hour of decision. Here in these verses, Jesus sets before us three separate alternatives, three simple alternatives. He shows us that we need to choose between two types of path to follow, two types of teacher to listen to, and two types of disciple to be. We're going to take each one of those in turn, and we're going to begin with the choice between two types of path to follow. Verse 13, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and few find it. 
as a family, we recently had a few days of uh, vacation down in New England in the United States. On our way there, we drove through Montreal and then crossed the border into Vermont and then came down the east side of Lake Champlain. I guess lots of you have done that drive before. On, on the way back a few days later, our GPS suggested we take a slightly different route. When we hit the top of Lake Champlain, rather than going straight and continuing on up to Montreal, it suggested we turn left and we travel through the very sort of top portion of New York State along the northern border there of the state. I, I didn't mind the idea of bypassing Montreal traffic, and we didn't know that part of New York State very well, so we thought we'd just give it a whirl. What's to lose? I was actually glad that we did that. It was interesting exploring new territory and seeing a place we didn't know too well, but it made for a very different drive and a very different experience. The very northern section of New York State, if you know it, has some real natural beauty to it. But if you know the area, you'll know that in recent years, recent decades really, communities dotting that northern border of the states have been struggling economically. In fact, along that route, there are a number of really quite depressed communities in economic terms. Lots of abandoned houses, lots of empty churches, lots of boarded up stores, lots of fallow fields. It was interesting to see. It was also a little sad as well. But as I looked back on our journey, it struck me that the junction we hit there at the top of Lake Champlain was actually a very significant junction. Turn left into upstate New York, and it's a, a journey through towns and villages and communities that thrived a century ago, a century and a half ago, but have now fallen on harder times and have depopulated and so on. But keep going straight, and you soon hit Montreal, a, a center of commerce and, and culture, a world city, a bustling hub of communication, a place of wealth, a place of influence. Two different worlds accessed by two different roads. In verses 13 and 14, Jesus tells us that there are before us two different gates leading to two different roads, taking us to two different destinations. And we need to choose which gate we're going to enter, which road we're going to travel, which destination we're going to reach. There is, on the one hand, a wide gate and a broad road leading to a place called destruction. And it's a road full of traffic. It's bustling with people. And there is, on the other hand, a small gate leading to a narrow road heading to a place called life. And it's not a busy road you find it. And so Jesus urges each one of us here this morning to be sure that we enter through the narrow gates. Be very careful to go through that gate and along that road and head for that destination, says Jesus. Well, we see the imagery and we hear the warning, but what does Jesus actually mean in practical terms when he says to go by the narrow way? Well, remember where we are this morning in the teaching of Jesus. We're just wrapping up his famous Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, in this famous sermon, he's called us to a totally countercultural way of life. We've seen that week by week as we've made our way through it. He began the sermon, if you remember, by promising us blessing if we will but mourn our sin and hunger and thirst for righteousness, showing us that through his saving work at the cross, he can make us right with God. But 
for those who will respond to him in that spirit of dependency, he then calls us to a high standard of righteous living. He calls us to turn from anger. He calls us to be committed to our spouse in faithfulness. He calls us to be generous with what we have. He calls us to be forgiving. He calls us to be truthful, and on it goes. And so the narrow gate and the narrow way refers to living out the Sermon on the Mount in all its fullness. It means entering Jesus's way, the way of the kingdom through faith in him, through accepting his gift of righteousness through his death in our place. It means then following him on that road of righteousness, that road of obedience day by day. It's a narrow road. Few people find it. The imagery that Jesus uses here gives us a couple of insights into what it will look like and what it'll mean to follow him day by day. The fact that the road is a narrow road tells us that it's going to be the harder road, I think, to follow. It's going to be the more difficult path. I'm always basically the last person in the world to find out about new technology. I've made my peace with that, but it is true. Uh, about a week ago, someone put me onto this app, which was new to me, called Waze, a kind of navigation app. I expect most of you have been using it for months, if not years. But I think it's great. Not only does it give you the benefit of GPS mapping, but it gives you live updates for conditions and then alters your route all the time. I've got some meetings down the other side of Toronto in a couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to try out Waze on that long journey. I'm looking forward to using it, but I'm pretty much 100% certain that Waze is going to send me along the 401. I don't think it's going to send me anywhere else. It would be very unlikely. After all, as it passes through the 401, uh, the, the GTA rather, the 401 is, I think, the widest highway in North America, 16 lanes wide. Now, it is the widest road. It is clearly the easiest way. Some narrow little side road through the back streets is almost certainly going to be slower. It's going to be more difficult. The popular route is normally the easy route. Well, in spiritual terms, the narrow way will almost certainly be the harder way. We're naturally going to be inclined to try and find the easy way, the wide road. But Jesus says to us this morning, don't be deceived. The wide road, it heads to destruction. But the narrow, the harder road, it leads to life. And of course, it is hard following Jesus. If we've been following him any length of time, we'll know that there are challenges. It's not the easy path. It's hard living the way he calls us to live in this Sermon on the Mount. Wonderfully, back in verses 7 and 8, he has promised us that the Father will help us if we but call out to him and ask him for his help. Help is available, but nonetheless, the road is narrow and the road is hard. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. Our message today is called Two Ways to Live. Looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll continue this in just a moment. But if you did join us late, you want to go back and listen to what you missed? Or maybe you have to leave us early. You can always come to our website and you can listen to each and every program there. Our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. Another way to listen, the Encounter the Truth app. It's free and you'll find it at your favorite app store. Just simply look for Encounter the Truth. Well, let's get back to the message. Once again, here is Jonathan. Help is available, but nonetheless, the road is narrow and the road is hard. 
That, that's one thing the imagery tells us. The other thing it teaches us is that the way of Jesus is never going to be the popular road. The crowd, they're always going to take the 401. The crowd are always going to take the path of least resistance. As consumers, we live in this amazing age, this astounding age, really, where we can always access the wisdom of the crowd at the touch of a button. We want to know what hotel to stay in in a new town. TripAdvisor has thousands of reviews, and we find the number one in that town at the click of a button. We want to know what book to read next, goodreads.com. It's got everything we need to know. We want to know which teacher or professor's class to pick, ratemyteacher.com. Trouble choosing a toaster, perhaps? Look on Amazon. The reviews will send you in the right direction. Need to find a good restaurant in a new town? Zumato's got you covered. If that's no good, Yelp can help. At the click of a button, we have access to the opinion of millions and millions of fellow consumers. Well, the crowd is often right when buying a toaster or choosing a restaurant, but when it comes to choosing a path for life, a direction to travel, a destination to pursue, the scary thing Jesus tells us is that the crowd is in the dark. The crowd's going the wrong way. And so Jesus calls us urgently to ignore the crowd and instead to go his way. Within living memory for many here, Christianity in Canada has been a mainstream force. Some would have even called Canada a Christian country within living memory. And for much of Canada's first century or so as a country, there was a cultural openness to the Christian gospel. There was a social acceptability attached to being a Christian believer. Christian truth was woven into the culture and into the laws of the land. I was up on Parliament Hill on Friday, and I noticed again scripture etched into the building at various prominent places. But we all know that things have been changing very rapidly in recent decades. And for those who have been living through that change and that transition, it feels as though the era we have entered is foreign and the age we are living in is strange. With evangelicals making up something like 10% of the population in Canada, we're suddenly aware of being a relatively small minority in a very big country. For those who remember a more Christianized era, our present age and era feel strange. But actually what Jesus tells us in verse 14 indicates that being a minority is probably actually the norm. Small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and few find it. That's helpful for us to see and to remember because it tells us that the situation of a century ago or whatever, that was probably the exception and what we're experiencing now is probably more like the norm. It's helpful for us to see and remember because it tells us that if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to need to embrace being countercultural. We need to embrace being out of step with the culture around us. 
Perhaps that's an especially timely reminder this Labor Day weekend as students get ready to go back to school and college and university. That pressure to feel normal, to feel included, it is so strong, isn't it? It's so overwhelming. And yet Jesus calls each one of us to travel down a narrow road. And we need to embrace that journey because ultimately the narrow road upon which we are traveling, that is the road to life. And the wider road, the road along which so many around us are traveling at great speed, it is the road to destruction. It is the road, says Jesus, to the judgment of God, a road to eternal separation from all that is good and all that is joyful. Jesus has purchased life for his people through his death on the cross. He's actually faced the death and the judgment we deserve, and he's done so in our place. And the invitation to travel on the way to life is only possible because Jesus has died for us, and he has opened the way to life. It's a narrow way. It is a harder journey. It is a less popular course, but it is the way to life and not to death. Two types of road to travel upon. Next, two types of teacher to listen to. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Having moved here just a year ago now, we're now coming to the end of our first summer season in town. And one of our projects at home is to try and get a handle on our, our garden and to try and figure out what's there. We've discovered lots of nice perennials planted there that have been popping up through the year. And we've just been trying to figure out what's what. But it, it takes time. You've got to watch and wait and see to know for sure what's a weed and what's a beautiful flower. We've had to be patient and do a fair bit of watching. We were, we were told that quite a number of our trees when we arrived were weed trees and would probably need to come down in due course. But, but others, they provided good cover and they looked attractive and we thought they're probably worth keeping. Just the other day, I was, I was mowing the lawn and I came across a little pile of cherries on the ground and I looked up and I realized I was standing under a cherry tree. I hadn't realized that before but the fruit was a dead giveaway for someone who doesn't know trees. I was able to discern. I was able to identify it. Once the fruit is out, you've got that telltale sign. It's no mistake that in our passage, verse 15 follows verses 13 and 14. The connection here is actually very important and it's very intentional. Jesus has just told us to follow the narrow path to life and to avoid that wide road to destruction. Now he tells us to be very careful to avoid false prophets, false teachers. Why does Jesus go there right away? What's the connection? How does that fit together? Well, the connection is simple who we are listening to, the teachers we sit under, well, that's going to have a massive impact on whether we travel down that road to life or whether we head down the road to destruction. In Jesus' own time, the choice would have been whether the crowds would listen to him and his teaching 
whether they would respond to this sermon that he is delivering right now, or whether they would reject him and follow instead the religious leaders of the day, many of whom Jesus branded dangerous hypocrites. Now, in our own day, in some way, the choice is slightly more complicated, and it takes even more discernment, perhaps. We may well recognize that the word of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus in Scripture, is right and is true. And we may well, therefore, be inclined to trust teachers and preachers who speak in the name of Jesus and claim to teach his words. But yet, these teachers may be compromised in some way. They may be misleading. They could even be false. And so the issue matters, and the question is very acute. How do I identify a false teacher? How do I identify someone that Jesus calls a ravenous wolf? I wonder how you would answer that question. It's not an easy question. How might you try and discern whether someone is a trustworthy teacher or not? I guess most of us would look instinctively at their doctrine. That makes sense. That's obvious, and we should do that. Is what a teacher says biblical? Are they clear on the authority of Scripture, the centrality of the death of Jesus, the divinity of Christ? and so on. Those are good, and those are basic questions to ask, and we must ask them. But it is interesting, isn't it, to notice what Jesus tells us to look at. He tells us to look at the fruit of their doctrine in their life, and I take it that he means we should look at their character. We ultimately should be looking at the character that they produce in their hearers, as well. Now, that makes perfect sense as we stand back and we think about that. If someone has a firm grasp on the truth, then surely the truth should have a firm grasp on them. It should be transforming them bit by bit. It should be shaping their lives. It's obvious on one level, but it's not always how we think. When looking for teachers to listen to, we often look first for giftedness. I think that's what I instinctively do so often. We listen to those, and we seek out those who are perhaps compelling to listen to, who can maybe draw a crowd, who are engaging or innovative or fresh or whatever. And while a teacher, of course, needs to have a gift of teaching, we run into a lot of trouble when we seek out teachers simply based on their teaching ability. That's only one part of the picture. Actually, there'll be a lot of people out there who have a sharp mind and a silver tongue, but who are not godly in life, and Jesus would tell us to avoid them. That's why, actually, when the Apostle Paul uh, sets out the qualifications for a teacher in the church, an elder in the church, in 1 Timothy and in Titus as well, his list of qualifications there is almost all about character and hardly at all about gifting. He mentions teaching, but that's it. Otherwise, it's all about character. It's all about godliness. Some may have the gifting, but not the character. And Jesus says, be careful. Jesus says, look out. You'll know the false teacher first and most clearly by the fruit or the lack of fruit in their lives and also by the way they influence others over time. Look at the fruit, and over time, you will discern if a teacher is trustworthy. 
It's important for all of us within the church family as we listen to different elders and pastors and teachers in different contexts, in different groups throughout the week. We want to be asking all the time, not only is this teaching sound, but is there evidence in this teacher's life that the truth is bearing fruit over time? Jonathan Griffiths with a message called Two Ways to Live. If you want to make sure you don't miss a future broadcast, come to the website. You can sign up to podcast the program. Our website address, EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported program. We do depend on your generosity to keep the program on this station. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book from Elizabeth Elliot. It's called Through Gates of Splendor. Now, this tells the story of how Elizabeth's husband, Jim, and four other missionary young men traveled into the jungles of Ecuador to share the gospel and ended up losing their lives at the end of a spear. We'd love to send you a copy of this book as you give a gift of any amount. Find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 1-833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. Thanks for listening. For Jonathan and for our producer, Mark Breda, I'm Steve Hiller, and I hope you'll join us next time.